This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Thank you, Hope. Well, Church, keep your Bibles open there if you have brought them. Um, I hope you were encouraged last week from our Vision Sunday Part 1. Um, we had such great feedback about people who were fasting last week. Some of you fasted for the first time ever. Um, some of you are much more seasoned when it comes to prayer and fasting. But um, did people find that helpful for those of you who are, who are participating in the, the fasting for 24 hours? Good. Well, we're going to keep growing in that this year. Um, the first Monday of every month is a day of fasting and prayer for our church. And so... If you missed it this time, you have opportunity to jump on board uh, starting next month. So I realize that tomorrow is the first uh, Monday in February, but we did it last week. So um, every other month this year, the first Monday of the month will be our day of prayer and fasting. I just also wanted to say very briefly that as we have our MDs up here sharing about our ministries and our teams and our needs, um, this isn't just about filling spots on a roster. Uh, what, what's really clear in this season is that all of our teams have significant needs. For the most part, it's been a pretty long period of time where we have had a consistent rhythm of gathering. Realistically, the, the five months that we had from Feb to June last year was our most consistent season of gatherings that we've had in the last two years. So that means that a lot of people have um, not served, not been using your gifts, and um, this isn't, and to be honest, as leaders look at that, that, that can stir a bit of panic in us. Like, oh my goodness, I've got all of these spots to fill on my team and my roster. And I don't, I don't want to keep rostering Brad and, and, you know, Nat Vasalo on kids and Brad on lights every single week because that's a recipe for burnout. But here's the thing. This isn't just about filling spots on a roster, right? This is about helping you use your God-given gifts to help serve the body of Christ, to help disciple people. This is about our church with everyone doing their part as we build the body up together. And this really, the, the big reason why we do this is about helping disciple people towards faith in Jesus. So we want to make disciples of Jesus, followers and apprentices of Jesus. And so what I want to do this morning is help us just go back to some basic foundational principles. You know, COVID has kind of, caused everyone to rethink everything in the last two years, like rethink your career, rethink your living circumstances, rethink what city you live in, rethink what is church all about. And so today I want to remind us about the mandate and purpose that Jesus has left us with. And so we're going to be in Matthew 28. And uh, one of the dangers of being in the Great Commission is the risk of familiarity. Uh, we're so familiar with these verses that yeah, yeah, I know what this is about. Church is about disciple making, boring. Can we just go back to like something inspirational like prayer last week? But I want to camp out here. So is that all right? Can we, can we talk about disciple making today? I'm going to pray for us. If you want to join me as we pray. Father, we thank you that you're a God who speaks. And God, as we think um, just foundationally about the purpose of the church, about what we're doing here in this room as we gather as your people, is about what we're doing as we gather on Wednesday nights in GCs and midweek as triplets and whatever we do. God, help, help remind us 
what you have called us to be, the type of people that you've called us to be, what we are to be focused on. God, we thank you that you speak through your word. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to see what you want to say to us this morning through Matthew 28. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would stir in us a fresh vision to be your people and to serve this city. And I pray this in Jesus' strong name and all of God's people said, Amen. Does anyone know what a muse is? Muse, not the band muse, but a muse. Anyone know what a muse is? Three people do, right? I didn't know either. Don't feel ashamed about that. I was having dinner with, you know, people who are way more cooler and, and uh, culturally savvy than what I am. And uh, they said to me, oh, who's your muse? I was like, oh, what's, what's a muse? Well, apparently a muse is kind of like your fashion inspiration. The person on Instagram that you stalk just to take some fashion cues from, right? And so, I mean, just so you know, we were hanging out with James and Katie Wong, the fashion designer and the cultural aficionado right there, the two of those. So, you know, we were discussing who our muse was. And I can't honestly remember who everyone else's muse was, but I didn't really have one. So I just said, to, I think my muse is like David Beckham. I think he, you know, I, I, like, I like his vibes. So I tend to, you know, just it's, it's black on black and denim. So, I mean, it just fits my, my whole vibes, right? Black and denim, that's it. Who's your muse? Does anyone have a muse? Any, anyone who's bold enough and willing enough to let us know who your muse is this morning? Anyone? No one. If you're online and you want to pop it in the chat, you can let us know who your muse is today. And the reason you don't want to let people know is like, they'll know my secret. They'll know that I'm not as original as I was hoping people would think that I am because I've just stolen all of my ideas from Justin Bieber, Justin and Haley, or, you know, David, I don't know who it is. But it kind of this idea of a, a muse, a fashion inspiration, someone who you look to to take your cues from about how you dress, kind of got me thinking about perhaps more generally who our life muse might be. Like who, who's the person or the people in your life that you take your cues and your inspiration from and, and Realistically, as you think about the Christian life, making Jesus your muse is what discipleship is all about. As we look to the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, we are looking to Him and saying, no, that is my model. That is the example of what it looks like to be someone who follows Jesus. That you would live like Jesus and look like Jesus and sound like Jesus and be like Jesus and walk like Jesus and talk and eat and sleep and pray and challenge and change and all of it, we would be looking to the life of Jesus to model our lives on. Just so you know, like that is God's purpose and intention for your life, right? In Romans 8, when Paul says, talks about all of the things that God has done for you, foreknown, predestined, the culmination is that you would be formed into the image of Jesus and glorified to be with Him for all eternity. All right, in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says that that is the purpose, that you would be made to be more like Jesus, that you would be sanctified to use a theological category. That is what it means to be a Christian. And so this morning, I want to give us some vision and some clarity for us about what it means to be the church, to be the people of God and what Jesus has left us to do on earth, who we are to be. 
You know, we're not content with just spectators in a pew on a Sunday watching. We're not content with just numbers on a live stream and ticking a box. We're not content with Sunday-only Christians, with people who just turn up here on an hour on a Sunday or even, you know, at, even better, turn up here on a Sunday and a Wednesday night to GC. We're, we're not content with um, allowing the culture to form and shape our people more than we allow Jesus to form and shape our people. We're deeply hungry to see people formed into the likeness and image of Jesus. And the issues that we are experiencing today in the church, issues like rapidly declining church attendance, a rapidly diminishing affiliation with the word Christian, uh, all of the, the last two years of COVID and the apathy that we feel towards turning up to church or just planning any event, let alone a Christian, just, just looking forward and planning any event and thinking, I don't want to do it. Like, do I really want to go to GC and get COVID and then have to spend the next five days isolating? And we, we, as we look forward, it can't help but fill us with anxiety and frustration and apathy. But that's a challenge for us at the moment. The busyness that we're feeling. And I think for many of us, the solution that we feel is, you know, I just need to lower the bar a bit. I just got to bring down my commitments everywhere across the board. Problem with that is, and, and that may actually be true. There may be some things that we need to say, I've been redlining for far too long and I just need to dial back some of my commitments. I need to focus on some rhythms of health. I need to get back to exercise. Like they all may be very true, but here's the thing. When we say, I just need to dial down my commitment to Jesus, we're, we're putting ourselves in the front seat of what I think is long-term derailment of our faith. And what I want us to see this morning is that the solution to the challenges that we are facing as a church is not to lower the bar on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, but to help us get a fresh vision and to recalibrate us and fire us up again to see what it truly means to be the people of God and a disciple and follower of Jesus. Here at Anchor, we use this definition of what it means to be a disciple because that, that's, that's jargon, right? Disciple is a jargon word. What is a disciple of Jesus? A disciple of Jesus is this, someone who is learning to love and live like Jesus. Someone who is learning to love and live like Jesus. That's our holistic picture of what it means to be a disciple. And so it engages our head. Someone who is learning. That's what the, the word disciple means. It means learner. It means a student of Jesus. We are engaged with our thinking. But it just doesn't just stay there. That's not enough, right? Just to just be a cerebral Christian. Someone who is learning to love, so it engages our heart and our affections and our emotions. And then someone who is learning to love and live like Jesus. It affects our, ha affects our hands, our actions, what we actually do. That's our holistic definition of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple, someone who's learning to love and live like Jesus. And the reason that this is central for us, and realistically, this is what every church should be about, right? We can all have our fancy vision statements, whatever it takes to help the wayward find home is ours, or, you know, I mean, you think all of the church, we all have our fun little pithy vision statements or call statements that we have, but realistically, Underneath the brands and the logos and the slogans is this mandate that Jesus has left us with. 
And what is most important is that we give first priority to Jesus' last words to the church. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 28, verse, uh, what verse? Verse 18, verse 19. It says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and, I'm sh- and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now at the center of that commission that Jesus leaves the disciples with, and, and, and by virtue of the, this um, being Jesus' commission to the disciples, m- meaning this is what he wants the church to continue to do, the center of this is not going. Now, I think most of us, we, we turn to the Great Commission as our passage, our mission passage, our going passage. Now, don't get me wrong. Going is very, very important. If you go back to Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, as Jesus is sending out the 12 and the 72, the very first time that he commissions them and sends them, he says what? He says, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. Instead, go rather or go only to the lost sheep of Israel. He puts a boundary around the mission that he gives them to. And then we get to Matthew 28 and he says, go to all nations, right? So going is definitely important. And we see that if we get to the book of Acts and the church is just kind of comfortable in Jerusalem, what does God do? He sends some persecution to scatter people and he makes them go because they weren't kind of going. Going is central, going is important, but it's not the central command of the Great Commission. The central command of the Great Commission is to make disciples. As you go, by baptizing and teaching towards obedience. But what Jesus is calling the disciples and us to is to make disciples. That that Christianese jargony word, right? Make disciples. Simply means learner, student, a student of Christ, a student of Jesus. And literally, if you were a first century Hebrew, a first century Jewish person, you would have understood that to be a disciple meant to commit your life to following the teaching and living of a rabbi. That's what it meant. You would literally walk around, listen to them teach and try and model yourself on their teaching and their way of life with the prospect that one day you would be doing the same. So when the scriptures use the word Mathetes, which is our Greek word for disciple, that's what they pictured. Someone who literally followed a rabbi around and listened and modeled their life and teaching on that rabbi. Now, I think one of the problems that we have is that well, when we think the word discipleship, we think we've all got to turn up to the training that's happening at 12 o'clock after lunch on a Sunday after church. And that's the sum total of what our discipleship looks like. Or we think it just means turning up to Bible study on a Wednesday. That's what discipleship looks like for us. But I actually think that blue-collar workers understand what discipleship means far more than professionals do. Because what a tradie does in order to get qualified is exactly what a disciple or a follower of Jesus had to do. Right? If you wanted to be, if you want to be like right now, do we have any tradies in the room? I think Robin's here. Any other tradies? Up the back, yes, we have a few. We've got some chippies up the back there. If you wanted to be a qualified builder, electrician, plumber, you have to become what? Come on, church. I need a bit of 
thank you, you need to become an apprentice, right? And what an apprentice does, yes, they go to tape. I realize they sit in class for maybe half a day a week, but for the most of their time, they spend their time on the job site listening, watching, observing, and then practicing to do the skills that are required to one day be a qualified builder. That's what they do. It's a four-year process of being a qualified tradesperson. That's what discipleship is about. But I think our problem is, for those of you who are professionals, right, we sat in lectures for three to some of you like six years, right? You've done triple degrees or whatever it is. You sat in lectures and you listened to someone talk at you and try and fill your brain with information and you thought you were ready for the job and then you started your first day of work and you realized, my goodness, I know nothing. Six years in a hex debt that's almost the size of a mortgage and I'm not ready for this job, right? Discipleship is about being an apprentice of Jesus. That's what it's about. Watching, listening, observing, and then practicing to do the things that Jesus did. That's what it means. Discipleship is not merely intellectual assent to a string of propositions. For so long, our view of discipleship has been left in the realm of head knowledge. And it is disastrous for the church when we bifurcate discipleship that way. It leads to people who know heaps, but don't live much. And if we're real honest, church, about Anchor, or just broadly about the Western church, we know a lot, but we don't do a lot. And so what I want us to do is recapture what it looks like to be a follower, apprentice of Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. Yes, what we believe is vital. It's important. Faith is central. Yes, but it is not merely that. Being a Christian, being a disciple is a way of life. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. That's what it is. It's a set of practices. And so when Jesus says in the Great Commission to the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, his expectation is not that Peter and James and John would just call a little small group and that they would stand up and teach and then go home. His expectation is that they would do the very things that he has been doing for them for the last three years. That they would take people on the journey of formation. And that's exactly what we see happening as we read the scriptures. People would be with Peter and James and John. They would listen to them and then they would live that out. So how does this happen? Well, the first thing that John, uh, that Matthew says there, it's that as we go. That doesn't necessitate that you need to join Scotty and Ruth in the Philippines doing cross-cultural mission to be obedient to that. Literally, it could read, on your way, as you are going, make disciples. Secondly, it means baptism, baptizing people, giving them a new identity. That is, that the old self has died and been buried with Christ and a new creation has been raised with Him that we are so united with Jesus that what has happened to him in his death and resurrection is a mirror of, of what is happening to us spiritually, that our sinful flesh has died and a new creation 
has been birthed, reborn again. And we've been baptized into the tri-fold name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a Trinitarian identity. We've been given a new identity, new people, not just behavior modification. Secondly, he says there, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. Teach them to observe the things that I said. Now, if you think about the book of Matthew, the central teaching that we find in the book of Matthew is what? The Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' manifesto for new kingdom living. right? Not a, not a new set of rules, not a new set of Ten Commandments that if you obey these, but this is what it looks like to be the people of God, a radically countercultural people, salt and light. And Jesus' expectation is that people will live within the new realities and rhythms of the kingdom. God's people, His countercultural people. But the point is here, it's not just teaching full stop. It's teaching with the outcome of obedience. It doesn't stay up here as an idea. It filters down into our head and our, into our hearts and into our hands. Teaching people to obey Jesus. Now, that's not just moral obedience, right? That's not just, oh, I need to do the right thing. No, that is an entire life that is surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. A life of attentive obedience that says, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. It's a life of guidance. It's a life of wanting to walk in step with the Spirit. It's a life of wanting to um, be obedient to what Jesus calls us to do. And this is both what we do and who we are. We have a new identity as followers of Jesus, walking together along the Jesus road, being made more and more like Him. Now this commission that Jesus gives the disciples, if this is binding on the church, if this is part of our core understanding of who the people of God are, then we ought to expect that to be demonstrated in the lives of the apostles. And if you flick from the Gospels to the rest of the New Testament, that is exactly what you see the disciples doing. You see them moving or traveling to cities, meeting people, making disciples, planting churches, appointing leaders, and helping those leaders mature the disciples, the new followers in Christ. And then they just repeat the pattern over and over and over again. I want you to see this in the ministry of Paul. Come with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. These form some of the last words that Paul will give to Timothy, his young ministry apprentice. But the last thing that he will write and say, it says this, Timothy, the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust them to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. The parting words from Paul to Timothy is, this is how you leave a legacy for the gospel. You will teach, train, entrust, and send others to continue to do this work. Men and women who have been discipled in the way of Jesus to go and replicate that in other people. And you see Paul has four generations in mind here. Paul, Timothy, reliable men and women, and other people. His expectation is that this process of investing in people, that they would invest in other people, is 
the primary strategy that Jesus has to continue to see his church thrive to the very ends of the age. There is no other way than us investing in people with the word of God, helping form Christ's likeness in them on this journey we call life. That's it. Now, I've got to be honest with you guys, seriously, as I was preparing this message, I'm like, it feels a bit boring. Can I say that? <laughs> you know, that actually probably just reflects something in my heart that's, that's lost a sense of like, do I need something more exciting than the mission that Jesus gave to the church for the rest of our living existence than investing in people and helping Christ be formed in them? And perhaps if that feels boring to me, the problem's here. I need a recalibration. I need to realign my heart with what Jesus has called us to. This, in fact, is the most exciting thing that we can be a part of. And personally, the best adventure that an individual can walk on is walking the Jesus road of Christ-likeness. So, Go and make disciples who will 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 go and make disciples. That's what we're about. That's what every church should be about. Now, we uh, here at Anchor, we have, you know, we've got our own cool little slogan that we use, whatever it takes to help the wayward find home. Um, I think one of the very unhelpful things that the, the capital C broad church has done is put a line down the middle of this word discipleship and make it mean one of two things, right? Either it's just about maturity. It's about taking Christian people and helping them mature in their faith or it's about evangelism. It's about finding people who don't yet follow Jesus and making them followers of Jesus. The problem is Jesus never made that division. But one of the things that I see happening at least here in our city, in the churches that um, we are probably more traditionally aligned with is most of our time, effort, and energy is put into maturing the followers of Jesus and building this safe, holy huddle so that we can continue to be the people of God in a world that is scary and changing. And all of those things are true. But one of the things that I'm deeply passionate about is being the church that not doesn't neglect that, but uses that as a foundation to come back and say, hey, all of these people out here that don't know Jesus, the four and a half million people in our city who are yet to encounter God's love and have a story like Jacob and Sarah, someone needs to tell them. And yes, we could invite them to church, but we need, we need something that is going to equip these people to take that message out there. And so we believe that our unique call as a church is to do whatever it takes to help the wayward find home and family here. There's three things about that statement that are important. The first is whatever it takes develops a sense of urgency in us. What we are facing, we are staring down the barrel of increasing church decline and a generation of people who are disenfranchised and had enough of the church and walking away. Who is going to do something about that? If it's not us, if it's not this generation of people, there's a sense of urgency to that. Secondly, we want to do whatever it takes to help the wayward. That is, our focus is on people who are outside of the church. 
we're outside of the kingdom, we're without God and without hope, and our desperate passion is to help them encounter the love of God. And finally, we want them not just to, you know, turn up to an event, but we want them to be a part of a family. We want them to find home here at Anchor. And if that's you in the room, thank you for being here today because we love the fact, or online, we love the fact that you are here. We feel that that is our unique call. Let me um, just finish with a story and then, man, these sermons go so long. Let me finish with a quick story and then I want to tell you what's happening this year. The first story, the story is this. A friend of mine, Chris, played cricket in Auburn and met a young guy called Kev. Chris was a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. Kev wasn't. Chris made an intentional decision to invest in Kev to live a distinctly Christian life, to model what it meant to be a man, to a young boy who had no father growing up in his home. Kev saw Chris's life, was drawn to it. Chris shared the good news of Jesus. Kev gave his life to Jesus and became a follower. Kev ended up at Chris's church where he got discipled, mentored and trained and ended up running a youth ministry. He was involved in discipling young teenagers and in that youth ministry was a young guy called James. And Kev intentionally and lovingly invested in James. James grew up in a church family. He knew about Jesus, but because of the leadership and influence of Kev, James matured in his faith, loved Jesus, grew up and was so blessed by Kev's leadership that he wanted to be a youth leader as well jumped into youth ministry, started leading, and in year seven, along came this fresh-faced little kid called Isaac. Isaac Viglioni, for those of you who know Sam and Isaac. And James spent the next six years investing in, discipling, and mentoring Isaac. And Isaac has spent the last eight years of our church journey using his gift to invest in the next generation. It's disciples who will make disciples will make disciples, who will make disciples. It's, it's, so, it's, it's that simple. That's what we're about. So what are the vehicles that we have at Anchor and how will we do that this year? So let me just quickly run through the vehicles that we have for making disciples. This space here is a disciple-making space, not just because I'm preaching the Word, but because we gather for worship. All of the softer stuff that happens around this, our Sunday gatherings are about making disciples of Jesus. Our gospel communities really are the heart and center of our church, the heartbeat of what we want to see happen here at Anchor. They are disciple-making vehicles. They're to help you and your friends and your family encounter the love of God and know what it looks like to walk along the Jesus road together. We're about life on life, life in community, and life on mission. Together, as a GC, we have things like dinner parties where we invite those who aren't yet believers in Jesus to come in, encounter hospitality, see what it looks like to be in a community of faith that's weird and different and awkward and messy and beautiful at the same time. We are practicing rhythms together as a small group. Rhythms like being really intentional about praying for five people in our lives who are yet to encounter the grace, love and mercy of God. Our gospel communities are vehicles for discipleship. Triplets, gospel triplets are vehicles for discipleship. The most intimate space of what it looks like 
to be in community with two other people, to share your vulnerabilities, to sit with the word together, to pray for each other so that you would be known, like really properly known and that you would know a few other people in our church. That's a vehicle for discipleship. Personal rhythms and practices, right? The things that we're going to equip you with and give you to help you follow Jesus. Books, prayer guides, materials, content, all of that. Alpha is a vehicle for making disciples. Alpha is our, one of our primary things that we use to help those who are outside of our family, to help them understand who Jesus is and what it looks like to be a disciple. It's happening Feb 20, and I would love every single person here to pray about who you could invite to bring to Alpha. Sunday mornings, 8.30 in the terminal. Those are our primary vehicles, the ways that we go about making disciples here at Anchor. What is on the horizon for 2022? Well, a couple of things. The first is next week, we are launching a new teaching series called The Way, The Way of Jesus. Lives built around, lives ordered around the lifestyle of Jesus. And what we will be focusing on is not so much the teaching of Jesus like we did in our manifesto series on the Sermon on the Mount, but the rhythms, practices and habits of Jesus that form what it means for us to be followers, disciples. We want to see those same things manifest in our lives. Things like prayer, things like scripture meditation, things like silence and sol solitude, things like what it looks like to be on incarnational mission together. We're launching that next Sunday across both city and southwest. The second thing that we're doing, as I mentioned last week, we're leaning into prayer on Feb 27. We're launching our prayer challenge, 70 days of prayer together to help reform habits, rhythms of seeking the presence of God and deepening our dependence on Him. Kids ministry, as we've already heard from Sarah today, we want to invest in our kids for the last seven years, the kids' portfolio has either been a volunteer role or a role that another staff member has had on top of other really significant responsibilities. So James Dawson, our previous kids' director, was supposed to work on kids' ministry for four hours a week. In, in reality, the things that were on his plate were so demanding that, that sometimes he could give four hours a week, but most of the time he couldn't. So our... Uh, employing Sarah this year, two days a week, is our first step of investing in our kids' ministry and helping take our kids' ministry to the next level. That's really important for us. Alpha is another thing that we're leaning into this year. Now, we launched Alpha at the start of 2020 with, a, with this huge like, vision for it, and, and we've, we did our first Alpha and got four weeks in and got plunged into lockdown. And the momentum behind Alpha has kind of tanked. But we have seen God work powerfully in people's lives through Alpha. And he, here's the deal with Alpha. All it is, is people sitting around a table with food on it, discussing the things of Jesus. That's it. Community, food, and discussion. It is so beautifully simple. We had the joy and privilege of baptizing Alec. I'm not sure if Alec is watching on the live stream this morning, but we, we baptized Alec at the end of 2020 because he was able to come to an online alpha and discover Jesus for himself. What we need to be doing 
maybe you don't feel confident enough in the disciple-making journey to sit down, share your faith, unpack the way of Jesus with someone. But at the very least, you could just bring a friend, invite a friend to attend Alpha. Starting Feb 20, who could you invite? The next one is space. So uh, at the end of last year, we did our Build the House campaign. And honestly, God blew that out of the water for me. You know, you know that, that verse from Ephesians where you know, we, we say that God can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. We printed those brochures with a dream of raising about $40,000 to lay a foundation, to have some space for us to do ministry. And at the end of last year, together, as a church family, along with some very, very generous partners, we raised $200,000 in like five weeks to help us lay a foundation for space. Now this year, we need to find space so that ministry can happen. Honestly, I onboarded Jacob two weeks ago, sitting on Hope's porch in Annandale with the sun beating on us, getting sunburnt, trying to talk to Jacob about what it means to use our apps and systems. It's, we need space, right? We need space for ministry. We need space for Alpha. We, we need space for everything. And so one of the things that we will be prayerfully looking for this year is space. Now, our Board of Ops does that. We meet monthly. Um, we've been trying to work on this for years. But how can you play a part in that? You could just get on your face before God and ask Him to bless us with space. That would be incredible. If we could together pray and pursue God for space this year. Staff is the next one. And I very briefly want to update you on some of the things that are happening for staff this year. You already heard some of them. But the first is... Uh, obviously, Brad, Brad and Catherine Kerneman have moved back to the mountains. Brad has started his new job at Blue Mountains Grammar this week and been texting back and forth. He's loving it. Um, we sent James and Callan. They started, for those of you who were at the, uh, the Vision Sunday last week, it was incredible. We're full of faith and expectation about what God wants to do through them. Ben and Jess Hodge have joined them. And so Brad, Ben and Dawson, we've sent and they've left what are we going to do in the season ahead? Well, one of the things that we're doing is James Wong, our, uh, our worship director, our Sundays director, is going to be stepping up as a full-time pastor here at Anchor starting last Sunday. So James is stepping up, and James will be overseeing our worship teams, our Sunday platform teams, as well as our gospel communities. And that is because come mid-March, Hope Miles is getting married, which is very exciting, but she will be joining her fiancé, Tim, at his church down in Cronulla, which is established church. And very sadly, Hope will be leaving Anchor. Now, I realize that's another farewell that we're going to have to make. Um, but for a great reason, again, none of these are terrible reasons why people have left at all. And so we're very excited for Hope and Tim. Um, Hope has been a significant blessing to our church. Her last Sunday will be March 13. We're going to have a big farewell for Hope and honor her and bless her and send her off. But it does mean that Hope is our interim Gospel Communities Director until March where James will take over. So Hope and James are working right now on a slow handover for James to step into that role as our GC pastor as well as overseeing Sundays uh, on this platform. That will be James Wong's role. We've spoken about Sarah and her role stepping into kids ministry 
And I'm hoping that this week we can get uh, some job ads out for some new roles that we will be replacing Brad and Dawson and Hope. Not that you can replace those guys at all, but we're going to be uh, employing again for some new positions in the coming weeks. What it also means is that I'm looking for new leaders. You know, one of the things that I felt like God saying to me last year as I was grieving, and if I'm, if I'm honest with you, there's still a corner of my heart that's grieving all of the changes and loss of leaders. But I think one of the things that God was saying to me is that now is the time, the season ahead is the time to invest in the next tier of leaders at Anchor Church. When leaders step out, it creates a vacuum. That vacuum is an opportunity for people to step up. And so I am looking for new leaders. I'm looking for people who are on fire for Jesus and believe in the vision, the mission and strategy here at Anchor to step into new roles of leaders. And my commitment is to raising up the next generation of leaders here at Anchor Church. That is a wonderful, beautiful opportunity that we have in a season where we're farewelled. Let's be honest. In my opinion, some of the most gifted leaders and humble leaders that I've ever worked with to see the next tier of leaders step up in our church. And my question is, could that be you? In whatever capacity that looks like here at Anchor, could that be you to step into a new season of leadership here at Anchor? And finally, because of that, we need some training. A, a big part of my time will be training this year. Just so you know, um, stuff is going to be a little messy here at Anchor in 2022. You know, we, we've, just, we've just let go of a whole bunch of incredible people. I came back to work my first week of work back on deck here. I had all of these tasks on my list. I was like, Brad would have done that, and Dawson would have done that, and Dawson would have done that. I messaged Arnold. I was like, bro, I'm not coping. There's too much change already. There's going to be a lot of transitional change here at Anchor this year. We're in a season of rebuilding. We're in a season of... Um, of raising up the next generation of leaders and of consolidating what has just happened in the last two years. That's the season that we're in. Things are going to be a little bit messy and disorganized, partly because Brad's not around and he did almost all of the organizing, and I'm not very gifted in that, but just partly because things look different. We're still trying to find our feet. So what part can you play this year? All of us are called to play a part in the life of the church. That's the picture of Ephesians chapter 4. We all have a part to play. The body is built up and strengthened as each part does its work. But what could you do? We all do these to some degree. Perhaps today, perhaps today, God is laying upon your heart to play a specific role or a, a role with increased energy and measure in some of these areas. Perhaps for you, it's becoming a partner at church, right? You have been an attender for a while, or maybe even you're new. This is your first week. You, you like what you've seen. You like what you heard. You're like, I want to be in. Your next step is to come to Growth Track, get in touch with James, and get on board. Become a partner. We don't use the word membership here at Anchor because it's too easy to be a member of the local RSL club and only attend once. We all know what membership looks like. This is about wholly investing into the mission that Jesus has for our church. It's about partnership. So maybe for you, it's about becoming a partner. Maybe for you, it's about becoming a learner. Maybe for you, this year looks like, you know what? I just need to sit at the feet of Jesus 
and be reminded what it looks like to be a learner. Perhaps your faith is off the rails. Perhaps you're coming back to Jesus after a long time of being out of the church. Perhaps you're tired and apathetic. Perhaps you just need to go back to first principles. Whatever it looks like for you, this year is about learning to sit at the feet of Jesus again. Maybe for you, you feel completely burnt out. The last couple of years have burnt you out and you need to be a learner again. The humble process of putting the L plates on the back of the car and sitting at the feet of Jesus. Maybe for you, it's about being a prayer. Maybe you need to reach out to Jenny and say, hey, Jenny, I've, you know, God has been prompting me in this area for a significant period of time. And my main fear is actually opening my mouth and speaking in front of people. But I know I need to do something. So I'm just going to come and sit in your presence to be a, a committed partner in prayer. Maybe for you, it's being a disciple maker. Right? Maybe for you, it's about thinking about who has God put in my life? I'm going to form a triplet with these two people and I'm going to invest intentionally in them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to open the scriptures together. We're going to pray together. I'm going to disciple these. Maybe it's about joining Sarah's kids team and investing in the emerging generations, the next generations in our church and helping disciple fresh young faith in the lives of the kids at our church. And I've got to tell you, as someone who has kids in our ministry, that would bless me immensely that we would see Sarah's team full of people who are investing in the next generation in our church. Maybe for you, it's about being an equipper. You know that you have latent gifts in, in, in raising up leaders and you want to use the gifts that God has given you to begin to equip people in our church, train them in areas. Maybe for you, it's about being a creator, using the God-given gifts that Jacob has mentioned this morning to create beauty, to create things that draw people in. Maybe for you, it's about being a giver, like sowing financially above and beyond your regular generosity to help build what is happening here at Anchor Church this year. Or just add er onto the end of any other verb that you feel the Spirit is laying on your heart. What does it look like for you to play your part this year? I'm not expecting everyone to be a worship leader or a preacher or a kids church teacher or a prayer, someone who ministers in prayer. We don't expect, but we do expect everyone to play their part, to do something. What will you do this year? What is the part that God is calling you to play this year? This is a big year for our church. And I'm really excited about what lies ahead, even though it's incredibly different to what it has looked like in years gone by. But I believe that the church grows to maturity as each part does its work. The small part that you play is a significant part in a larger whole to help us make disciples. As Carmen presses a button up the back on the computer for the verses to come on the screen, it's a small part to play in us making disciples. As Moira stands at the top of the stairs and smiles to people as they come into church this morning and says, hello, that is a small part in the larger, you know, what it looks like here to help make disciples. As you play your part, as you use your gifts, it is a small part in helping us do whatever it takes to bring the wayward home and to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So what part will you play? 
I want us to respond this morning, um, just, just as the band comes out, to give you a moment to just prayerfully sit in silence before God and ask God what step He wants you to take this year. What is God calling you into? What step of faith does He want you to take? What direction does He need you to be heading in this year? To just sit silently and ponder for a moment. I'm going to ask that God would stir that in us this year. So please just take a moment, sit quietly, bow your head, let's close our eyes together. What is God doing? Father God, I pray that you would help us to see the joy and wonder and privilege it is to be a part of your work and your purposes in the world, your mission. And our deep desire is to see your glory cover the face of this earth as the waters cover the sea. It's the name of Jesus lifted up people worshipping you, disciples being made, followers of Jesus. Our hope and prayer is to be a healthy church that loves you, a church that is striving towards Christ-likeness and maturity, a church that hasn't just got so obsessed with what's happening inside the four walls of our building, but that we look out to a broken and needy world. God, I pray that you'd help us to all see the part that we play. So Father, for every person sitting in the room this morning and for all of those who are watching on the live stream, will you help us to see the bit that we can do this year? together to help make disciples, to help create spaces where people can encounter your love and your mercy and your grace. But we want to be vessels to be used by you. We pray that you would use us. We pray that you would strengthen our church this year. And not just our church, God, the churches around us in Sydney. We know that so many churches are struggling in this season. Would you strengthen your body, irrespective of brand or denomination or theological bent? Would you strengthen the local church here in our city and remind us of who you call us to be and what you call us to do? God, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. Send us out as your people. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Bless you, church.